So Jesus has been born, and on the eighth day, he's going to get circumcised. And we read about that in verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Now, I want to focus in on Simeon, and we are told that he is righteous and devout. So righteous means his relationships with people, he, he, was, he was straight, he was righteous with them. Devout talks about his relationship with God. So horizontally, vertically, this was, this was a great man. Now, we are told he's righteous and devout, not so much that we can imitate him, that we can emulate him. We are told of his character so that what he goes on to say, we can know that he is trustworthy. So we are not meant to imitate him, but to trust what he has to say. And you see that this man is also a waiter. Uh, and I don't mean in a restaurant, but he is waiting. Right? Verse 25 tells us that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Okay, oh, that's you know quite poetic. The consolation of Israel. Now, essentially, that is the promises that God made to his people. Simeon is waiting for the fulfillment of these promises. Because all through the decades, all through the centuries, God had been making promises to his people. And Simeon, this righteous and devout man, is waiting. Waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises. Now, I need to, to say to you that these are not promises given to a people who deserved it. You know, just like if my son does well for his high Chinese, I say, okay, you get the Lego toy. No, no, these are promises given to people in spite of their sin, their rejection, and their constant rebellion. These are promises made to them who don't deserve it. And the promises boil down to, essentially, God saying, 
I will be your God, you will be my people. The promises all boil down to that, that God is seeking this relationship, this restoration and reconciliation with his people, a safe and secure and perfect relationship. So Simeon is waiting for the fulfillment of those promises. And we see in verse 26 and 27, the reason for why he's waiting. Because verse 26 tells us that it had been revealed to him by God's Spirit that he would not die before he saw the Messiah. So somehow, God said to him, okay, you are going to see the Messiah before you die. Now the Messiah is God's agent, God's anointed king, the one through whom God would bring about the fulfillment of his promises. So God made promises and God said, okay, these promises will be accomplished through my agent, my Messiah. And so Simeon is being promised, okay, before you die, you are going to set eyes on the one through whom these promises will be fulfilled. And so Simeon, he's waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises. He's waiting because he had been promised he would see the one through whom the promises would come. And so he's led by the Holy Spirit to go into the temple on this particular day. And that is precisely what he sees. God's promise that he would see the Messiah there in the arms of Mary. As Mary is in the temple doing the, the rites, he sees the Messiah. And just try and imagine the scene. Okay, the legend has it that Simeon is already an old man, you know, he's been waiting for many years. And there must have been more than one baby. Okay, you know, at least 20, 30 babies there, you know, doing the, the, the customary rites. But somehow he knows that that baby in the arms of Mary, that is the Messiah. And I just, just imagine him going towards Mary. And taking the baby Jesus from Mary's arms. I mean, did Mary protest? How startled was she? We don't know. But, but, but Luke focuses on Simeon finally carrying in his arms the Messiah. And, and, and as he gazed at Jesus, as he gazed at the Messiah, I, I'm sure the whole world around him ceased to exist. The sounds, the smells, the people talking all ceased to exist because he is gazing, his eyes have seen God's salvation. That's what he says. Now I can depart in peace. Now I can go to my deathbed in peace because your promise to me that I would see the Messiah has come true. And he says, my eyes have now seen your salvation. He's holding the Messiah in his arms. Now what does it mean when Simeon says here, God's salvation. What, what salvation is he talking about? Well, you need to notice that they are in the temple. Okay, in the place where for centuries, hundreds and hundreds of years, not a day goes by where blood is not offered. Every day in that temple, blood is offered. Blood sacrifices are offered. Now, in fact, Mary and Joseph, they are in the temple because they are following one of the many regulations about the sacrifices they need to offer. Because God 
gave them a whole series of things they needed to do. What to offer in this case, if they had sinned, need to offer this. And you mustn't think that God is, you know, being malicious. Why, 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 why does he need the blood of animals? No, God is actually being very loving because he is using an object lesson. The object lesson of animals needing to shed their blood to teach a very important truth. That in order to maintain their relationship with God, that in spite of their sin, and God could easily have just turned them away, delivered His judgment, wiped them out forever. But God was showing, because of your sin, blood needed to be offered. And this is the way that you maintain and keep in relationship with God. So every day, blood is offered at the temple. And the sacrificial system is to point ahead to the ultimate sacrifice that God himself would provide. You see, it is a very loving object lesson. You know, instead of just telling them, yes, your sin is serious. No, he really tries to show them, this is how serious your sin, your rejection, your rebellion of me is. That blood is required. Sin against a holy and majestic God deserves death. That's why blood is required. But the blood of, of bulls and goats and pigeons could never deal with the problem. That's why God promised that he would provide the ultimate sacrifice. And there in the arms of Simeon, that baby would grow up, that baby would live a perfect and sinless life before God. But that baby would shed his blood. That baby would be the ultimate sacrifice securing the salvation of God's people. Now there's a movie in which uh, Kate Blanchett, you know she's a terrific actress, right? So she acts as this uh, kindergarten teacher whose school and street is being uh, harassed by drug traffickers, drug pushers. And she complains to the police, but you know the police, because they are being bribed, they don't do much about the, the drugs. So she decides to take things into her own hands. So she devises this uh, time bomb and somehow she gets into the office of the main uh, drug lord and puts the time bomb inside the waste basket. Okay? And uh, calculating the time, you know, when the boss shows up, you know, the bomb uh, will take him off. But what she didn't factor in was the cleaner coming in and taking away the wastebasket and bringing it into a lift to clear it. And inside that lift came a mother with two kids. And unfortunately, as the lift was going down, that's when the bomb exploded. Now, the police caught the Kate Blanchard character. And the whole time she's thinking, yes, they're catching me because I killed the drug lord. But when she's finally told that the people she killed were not the, the drug lord, but you know innocent uh, garbage collector and the innocent mother and the kids. She killed kids. The, the realization of what she had done caused her to just, just collapse. When she realized that she actually killed innocent people, killed children, she just collapsed at the enormity of what she had done. Now friends, if you and I realize just how serious our sin, 
our rejection and rebellion against God is. That would happen to us. That we would just at the realization, oh, this is what I've done. Because sin is serious. And so God, in His loving kindness, provides the ultimate sacrifice. And Simeon goes on to say that this salvation is not just for Jewish people. Okay, look with me in verse 31, where he says, This salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. See, it's not just for the Jewish nation, it is for all nations. And it is, in verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. See, imagine a, a cup. Okay, and a cup represents Israel. And for, for centuries, the, the water of salvation is only meant for this cup. Okay, you need, the, 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 only the cup has the water. And once in a while, the cup, you know, spills out a drop here and there. And that's what we see in the Old Testament, that, that Israel has got salvation, but once in a while, you know, other people get to enjoy it. But now with the coming of Jesus, now ever since the coming of Jesus, this cup, this water of salvation overflows. It's not just for the cup, it overflows because it is meant for all nations. Now the thing I want to be clear here is that Simeon is not talking about all nations being saved. He is not saying that Everyone will be saved. He's not talking about a universal salvation, but rather he's talking about the universal reach of salvation. That this salvation, this offer is open to all, regardless of race, language. I can't say religion because you do need to believe in Jesus. Okay, so, so this is what Simeon sees. Okay. That God's salvation has come as, as He cradles Jesus, the promised Messiah. Simeon speaks, you notice, the way he speaks of this is as if God's salvation has already happened. My eyes have seen your salvation. I mean, he's just looking at a baby. But the way he speaks of it is as if God's salvation is, has come in, it's already happened, it's done and dusted. You see, the reason why Simeon speaks like this is because he's looking at the one through whom God accomplishes his salvation. But what does God's accomplished salvation look like? What does it ultimately look like when God is done with salvation? Well, this is where our second Bible passage gives us an insight. And it's taken from the end of the Bible, Revelation 21 where John, the Apostle, is given the great privilege of seeing and communicating to us uh, this vision. So John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them 
and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. So what does John see? John sees a new creation. And he sees a city. And you mustn't imagine skyscrapers and and walls. City stands for God's people. Because the city is also a bride. A bride that has been beautifully prepared. And this is the image that all through history, God has been preparing His people so that they would be a prepared, a beautiful, a ready bride for Him. Throughout history, that is what God has been doing to make a people now pure and spotless and blameless through Jesus so that they can be a worthy bride for God. I mean, just think about the the metaphor that God chooses to use. A bride, bride and husband, marriage. I mean, He is using what in our human terms is the closest, most intimate human relationship. And He's using that to describe the relationship that He now has with His people because of what Jesus has done. A bride prepared for her husband. What is in Image is said in words in verse 3. God's dwelling place is now among the people. No more barriers, no more curtains, no more distance. God is dwelling with His people. He will dwell with them. They will be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. I mean, the fulfillment of these promises will come and it will come in this amazing and majestic way. God Himself living His glory and majesty unshielded, His people there enjoying the presence of God Himself. This is a fulfillment of God's promises. And see see the tenderness of the picture. John doesn't say, your tears will be wiped away. Rather that God, because He is now dwelling with His people, God Himself will wipe away every tear. You know, no, no, no more tears in heaven. No more death, no more mourning, because the old order of things has been done away. The things that cause us tears, the things that cause us death and mourning and pain, all these things will be no more. God is making everything new. This is the fulfillment of His promises. This is what Jesus will accomplish. And in Simeon's arms, This is what he sees. Of course, he doesn't see all the details. He doesn't know as much as we do now. But because he's holding and seeing the Messiah, the one through whom God will bring about all Simeon says, I have seen your salvation. But remember, it is not a universal salvation. It has a universal reach but it is not that everyone will be saved, which means some will accept, some will reject. And that's precisely what Simeon says to Mary in verse 34. He says to Mary, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, 
so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. You see, this Jesus will be a sign that will be opposed. He will be spoken against. He will be opposed. He will be rejected. He will be rejected to the point that people will nail him to a cross and leave him to die there. And Mary, in seeing her son go through all this, she will have deep anguish. A sword will pierce her soul. But this child will divide people into two groups. Some will rise, some will fall. But even in this room, Jesus divides all of us here into two groups. Some will rise, some will fall. Those who will hold on to Him as the only way of salvation, who come in humility and deep awareness of our sin, will rise, will have as their certain hope this future with God in heaven, where God will be with us, we will be with His people, uh, we will be with Him, and we we will live in the unshielded glory of His presence. But those who will not hold on to Jesus, if you will not hold on to Jesus as your only hope of salvation, you will fall. You will not be with God. In fact, you will face an eternity of being separated from God. So another year is passing. The day will come when we cross the finish line. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you in Christ? Are you holding on to the only source and hope of salvation? May God help each one of us to do so. Amen.